After serving as senior pastor of SBC for 25 years, Dr. Daryl Dalhousay became the president and CEO of Phoenix Seminary in 2006. This nationally recognized theological seminary recently renovated their new campus on Shea Book. You know what? Do we have to do this? I mean, seriously, I mean, the, the seminary's right down the street. I, you know what, I can't even work with this. I'm gonna go to my own campus. No! Nope, here for the tour. Can you believe this used to be our chapel that's been completely renovated into a seminary that students are enjoying right now? Not only has it been renovated, but they have complete new buildings just like this one. Now we're coming into the Jewel of Phoenix Seminary, a 14,000 square foot center that houses over 50,000 books. It has over 90,000 items surrounded by staff offices, research areas. The students are gonna to totally enjoy this wonderful library. It's a biblical research center, and it's gonna be open to the faith community coming this August. What are you doing here, Neil? I thought you were dead. I'm not hey, gonna lie to you. The library's closed. I'm not even too sure you even read. You know, you kind of look like you've been baptized in pickle juice. You know, that's because I've had a lot of suffering in my life, and most of it has come from your dear hands. Well, you know, since we ran into you, why don't you take us on a tour of the rest of the facility? You want to tour of the whole campus? I sure do. Well, then, come on. Let's go. I'll show you what we got here. You got a friend in me. You got a friend This is one of our state-of-the-art classrooms. Actually, we have four right here and then two more. This is where we can go ahead with the camera and the microphones, catch any course that's produced here and we can reproduce it, present it around the world. Neil, what are you doing? Nothing. It's as much Greek as I know. So you got a page and a half on UFOs, but only a paragraph on women? I mean, the fact is, how much do we know about women? Well, less than a page. Well, I won't go there. Forget this. Why don't you tell us about this room here? This is the student lounge. It also is used for class, especially for our counseling classes where they break up in smaller groups. Best yet, there's a kitchen with food. With lots of food. Well, I gotta tell you, that was an amazing tour. Thank you so very oh, much. Oh, I'm glad you enjoyed it. I, I think students are gonna love this place. Oh, well, I tell you, it's just an exciting, exciting time for Phoenix Seminary. Uh, I mean, Wait a minute, aren't you supposed to be somewhere right now? Oh, no, 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 I'm supposed to be speaking discuss the Bible. Yeah. I gotta run, take care, Neil. Hey, can I get a ride? Come on. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to the stage, Dr. Daryl Dalhousay. Uh, well, good morning. Neil, you can keep the pins. We do want our bell back. <laughs> well, it's good to be home, uh, especially to uh, welcome all of you, especially our, our, our friend with the orange shirt. You know when you have the purple lights? You just light up like a light bulb. And so if you were trying to be incognito, 
or you're with somebody you shouldn't be, boy, you picked the wrong Sunday, but welcome. It's good to have you, and I do have my eyes on, on you. <laughs> well, like I said, it's good for me to be home, and this does feel and always will feel like home to me. Some time ago, I was listening to an interview by, George, uh, by, by uh, John Ortland, and he was interviewing Dallas Willard. Now, I don't know if you know who Dallas Willard is. Dallas Willard, 47 years, he uh, uh, taught philosophy at USC in Southern California. Uh, he passed away 2013, but was a real father of the faith, one of my heroes, and a hero of many, many students uh, of the word. Well, he was being asked in this interview, what did he do for personal devotions? Which is an interesting question, Ortberg asked him, because you don't think in terms of a scholar, an educated person, having daily, personal, quiet time, or devotions. But he didn't hesitate to answer the question. He said, every morning, I begin every morning reciting out loud so I can hear it from my own lips, the 23rd Psalm. And he did it because he wanted to always be reminded every day of the presence of Jesus with him. The reason he would do it out loud is because of a statement Paul makes in Romans chapter 8, verse 16. It's kind of a cryptic statement because Paul says, don't, don't you know that it is the Spirit of God who bears witness with your spirit that you're a child of God? Now, do you ever ask yourself questions like, how does that work? How does the Holy Spirit daily somehow communicate with my spirit that I'm a child of, of God? I mean, do they have little chats, chit-chats down here and I don't know about it? Feels like a little gas or, or what? I mean, if the Holy Spirit's speaking to my spirit, I'm aware in some way. Well, who wrote the 23rd Psalm through David? The Spirit of God. And every time that my soul, my spirit, hears the words of the scriptures that are authored by the Holy Spirit, that is the Holy Spirit bearing witness, speaking to my spirit so I can hear it, and reminding me of one thing every day, and that is I'm a child of God. And so here you have David, who was a shepherd, and he writes this Hebrew hymn. Jesus makes a big deal of this because in John 10, Jesus says, you want to know who that shepherd is? You know, I will sit on the throne of David. And, and, and Jesus knew this song. And he knew about this as the shepherd's song. And, and yet, in John 10, Jesus makes a big deal. I am the good shepherd. I am that good shepherd. So, basically, what Willard would do is that this was a way that every day he could be reminded by the Spirit of God himself that Jesus Jesus was with him. Jesus wasn't lying at the end of Matthew 28. Right after Jesus gave the great command, as you go into this world, disciple, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. But then remember what he closed with? And behold, I am with you always until the end of the age. Now, either Jesus is blowing smoke, or in some mysterious way, he's with me. And somehow the problem when people say, well, I feel Jesus a million miles away, my response is, well, guess who moved? Because we've got to remember, Jesus says his presence, his engagement is with us every day. We are never alone. But somehow I seem to forget that again and again and again. And I've got to be reminded almost daily at times. I had vacation last week. You know how I had a chance up in Santa Cruz to begin my vacation? I got the call. Uh, my, my vice president of operations, I don't know, he gets a joy out of letting me know how much trouble I'm in. 
as the president of the seminary. And, and I, I got a text Monday morning. Oh, by the way, I hope you enjoy your week vacation. We need $150,000 by Friday to make payroll. I'm going, Lord, and this is a prayer I've been praying for the last nine months consistently. Lord, just shoot me now. Just, 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 just shoot me now. Where are you, Jesus, on something like this? And by the way, what a story, what a week. We had one couple step up and they sold stock and gave the seminary $80,000 for this week. But that's not the only. Along with that, the elders, and I did not beg. I did not even ask. And the elders gathered together and the elders of Scottsdale Bible Church voted unanimously to give a gift because tuition begins flowing in in about two weeks. And summer's just a hard time. They voted for the giving a gift and we received the check Friday for $100,000 from Scottsdale Bible Church. I mean, now do I feel loved, but the reality is Jesus, he's, he's, I'm not alone. I'm not alone in this work. Psalm 34 verse 18 says, the Lord is close to those who are brokenhearted and pray, God, just shoot me now. It's, do you remember the first time that you ever heard the 23rd Psalm? I, I was made, talk about child abuse. I was made to memorize it when I was seven years old at vacation Bible school. I know because my teacher, I don't know what, she was about six, eight, 280 pounds, I don't know. But we all were motivated and to burn it into our mind, we had to paint little statues, little statues of shepherds and sheep. Now, now mine looked like a shepherd from Mars with alien sheep, but my mom liked it and I miss my mom. So I want to walk you through this psalm, a familiar psalm, but have you ever taken the time to understand exactly what are the lyrics of this Hebrew song that has the whole purpose, according to Jesus, is to remind us that he is always, always engaged and with us if we just be reminded daily. So if you haven't already, open your Bibles to the 23rd Psalm here in the Hebrew canon. Like I said, David's a shepherd. So he picks this picture up as a Hebrew song describing God's care and the fact that God shows his care by giving us his presence. Secret to the psalm is found right in the middle. It, it's a poem, a Hebrew poem. And it's like you're going, what's, uh, you're, you're ascending up to the top of the mountain. When you get to the peak, you find the key, the point of the whole psalm. And then with that gift, you go down the backside of the mountain. And that's how this psalm is put together. So it begins very simply. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. That whole verse there, four words, four Hebrew words. Literally, Lord, shepherd, no lack. This is not about a rancher who raises animals to slaughter. This is about a shepherd. The song's not about a leg of lamb. He says, the Lord is your shepherd, therefore you need not be a needy person. You know, we all want someone to care. That's why I like it or not. I don't care how masculine you think you might be. We all need a shepherd because we need somebody who cares for us sometimes. And that's exactly what this Psalm is all about. Because in that same chapter in John 10, when Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. That's the same chapter in verse 10 when he says, and I've come that you might have life and have life more what? Abundantly. And you have this abundantly life when you acknowledge that the shepherd is always with you. So when I look around for comfort 
And I look around at my friends and people I care about, and you know, you just get disappointed, right? It just, it, it, disappointment accumulates, accumulates. You begin to predict people are going to let you down. I start learning that disappointment, I eat it for lunch. Because I've learned I really only need one person who really cares. Do you ever throw those pity parties? I, I, I used to until I realized none of you ever come to my pity party. But one person is always there. And that's the shepherd. He's the only one that shows up. So I, instead of being needy, the Lord's my shepherd. I shall not want. I have all the care, access to all the care that I need. And if I get some from you, that's great. If I get nothing from you, it's okay. Because the Lord's my shepherd. And I need no one else. So the Lord, my shepherd, makes me lie down in green pastures. You know, sheep are not the smartest animals. When Jesus called us sheep, that was no compliment. And sheep are bullheaded. They will not. They will not lie down on their own to eat grass. Even if it's wonderful grass, they won't. They will only lie down when they relax, and they'll only relax when there's no fear around. And the shepherd's job was to remove all the fear, all the anxiety, so then and only then would the sheep go ahead and relax enough to enjoy all that's presented to him around him that particular day. For the sheep, it would be for the grass. You know, God's provided every day this abundant life. There's things to enjoy every day. Tomorrow, it's Monday. There are things to enjoy. We look for it, but you know what keeps us from enjoying it? Same thing as the sheep, fear. Most people, we are driven by fear. We're driven, I don't want to get in trouble. I don't want to do that. Well, we got to be careful here. Better show up there. Man, I better get this thing done. I better make sure the paperwork is right because I don't want to get in trouble. Most people are driven their whole lives by fear. What would it be like if indeed, as the word joy means, the absence of fear, if somehow you knew the presence of the good shepherd with you removed your need to be afraid so that you could relax and engage with everything that is good, created, and provided for you tomorrow, every day. He makes me lie down in green pastures because he removes all the fear and softens my heart. Because the more you look around and the more disappointments and the more that you find that there's not the comfort and it seems like you're getting more and more in trouble, you know what that does to your heart? It begins to harden it. And the hardened heart is when you begin to expect the worst. And you become just cynical about life. But what softens the heart? So that you can get up in the morning, get going, open your eyes and see the grass that's been provided because the fear's been removed because of his presence with you. The Lord is my shepherd. He leads me beside quiet waters. I learned something else about sheep. They will not drink from a stream, a river, running water. And the reason they believe is because they have this innate fear of falling in. And of all that wool, they'll sink and they'll drown. And so the shepherd has to guide them to where they don't know how to find it themselves, to quiet waters. In the Judean desert, at the bottom of the small canyons, you see these wadis, these brooks, that kind of come to the end of their run, and they're just little quiet pools of water, and that's where the shepherd takes the sheep, because then the sheep can have absolute stillness. Relaxed, peaceful 
stillness. Sometimes that's restful. But sometimes in that stillness, when all the distractions are gone, sometimes that's when you feel a sadness. But we think something's wrong with us if we feel sad. You know, God has a design behind every emotion. The emotion of anger, strongest of all the emotion, is to emotio, that's the word, to move you out to correct something. Anger is to move you to correct something that's wrong, unjust. Uh, the emotion of affection. When you feel the emotion of affection, you're moved to serve somebody, to communicate that affection. The emotion of fear. You've heard the fight and flight complex. You know, you fear something, you want to fight it or you want to run from it. Well, what about the emotion of sadness? We think we need to get therapy for it. You know, what, why are you so sad? Don't be so sad. Wait a second. Could there be a design by God behind sadness? When you're sad, what are you doing? You're reflecting. You're thinking about what makes, what's making you so sad. Sometimes the only times we do reflect and think about our lives is when we're sad. Sadness ought to be embraced. And there's times that the shepherd will lead us to just times of stillness, quiet, so we can ask ourselves the hard questions about how am I doing? How am I feeling about my life? Why am I feeling a little sad? The Lord is my shepherd. There's where he restores my soul. The word soul here is the Hebrew word nephesh. Your nephesh, your soul within your body, that's who you are. That's your person. That's what makes you so unique from anyone else. It makes you uniquely you. And my shepherd restores my soul, reminds me of me, of who me is. Like I've said before, this aging thing isn't a lot of fun. You better develop a sense of humor or you're going to be an old poop, I promise. <laughs> I, I mean, honestly, it's, it's like you got this soul and we're sealed in this beat-up old car. I look in the mirror and I go, what happened? When you saw the little video clip thing, you, I don't know what you were thinking, but I was thinking, how many chins do I need to have? You know, you, you look and you just go, oh, vague, God. And you do, you feel like you're, you're, you're sealed in this, this beat up old car. Oh, I'll tell you, this car was not a bad looking car when it was young. Man, it had a carburetor that was clean, new tires, clean windows. This thing ran and it hummed. I remember when yours hummed too. But over the years, we got the back, Light, tail lights busted, the glass is dirty in the front, carburetor's all gunked up, the thing kind of limps around. And the problem is I can't get out of this beat up old car. If you listen quietly to us older people, you will hear a quiet voice of our soul saying, help me, help me get out of here. But until the Lord releases us, we're stuck with the beautiful car. And what happens is we begin to define ourselves by our body because that's what the world does. Well, you're an old man. You're this, you're this, you're disabled, whatever it might be. The world defines us and we begin to believe and perform and respond like that's who we are. And we forget who we are, who our soul is. It's only Jesus Christ who reminds us and restores our soul 
And when we're reminded of who we are, that's when we're reminded who he is. Do you remember fractions? Remember when you learned fractions in what? Uh, fifth, sixth grade, if you're homeschooled, three years of age, I, I don't know. But, but, but the fact is, I wish they would have led with the fraction thing with the bigger the bottom number, the smaller the top number. That would have helped me big time. Well, I think about it, well, my top number is almost 69. That's a big top number. Yeah, but the bottom number is eternal soul. I'm only 69 years into an eternal soul. I'm starting to feel younger already because that's my soul. And in these times of quiet waters, when I have time to think and reflect, even in sadness about the beat up old car, he restores my soul. He reminds me of who I really am and therefore who he really is. The Lord is my shepherd. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. You know, if you ever go to a Judean desert, you'll find down in the south, in the desert, there are these hills, and they look like someone took a huge comb and just combed around the whole hill because you see these pathways in concentric circles. And these are pathways of shepherds and sheep for hundreds of years because they keep going up. They can't go directly up the hills. They'll fall right down on the other side if you get off the path. But the shepherd leads them, and all the little sheep know is the next thing, the next step. Just take the next step. Because if you go to the side, the left or right, you're going to just tumble and roll off the hill, and you're never going to get to where you want to go, where the shepherd has taken you. And what's interesting is it's the next step. You know, people ask me when they're in horrible situations, maybe right now, do you ever feel overwhelmed? I mean, just things are around you, the expectations are so great, and you just feel totally overwhelmed. Write this down. Here's the counsel. Do the next thing. That's it. Just take the next step, do the next thing. It may be simply breathe, but do the next thing. Take the next step. Don't worry about the step after that or after that, after that. Just as the sheep takes the next step because we're following the shepherd and he just takes us a step at a time. And he says it, says it, for his name's sake. This is all about going where he wants us to go. Well, what if I don't want to go where he wants us to go? Well, then you're an idiot. Because the fact is, what is Romans 8, 28? Our favorite verse, God works all things together for good, not to everybody. Notice, God works, not everything is good. It's not what the verse says. God will engage and work all things together for good only to those who love God and are called according to his purpose, his will. Well, I don't know about you, but I actually do when I pray, Father, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. I would like that today. I'd like to be living the kingdom right now. So take the next step. And the reason I just obey and take that next step is because of Hebrew thinking. You know, in our Western culture, we do tend to think what's called Greek thinking, which is simply this. You don't do something until it makes sense to you. I'm not going to obey until I understand why. Well, that's great, but that's going to really limit you because in Hebrew thinking, it's the opposite. 
Because in Hebrew thinking, they're talking about the infinite mind of God trying to communicate direction to finite beings like us. And when you have something understood by infinite mind, do you really think that you're always going to be able to figure it out every time? If you did, you don't need him. I mean, how arrogant would it be for me to say, hey, I know some of you are neurosurgeons, some of you are plumbers, some of you are electricians, but let me just tell you, unless you can explain what you do to me so that I understand it, it cannot be understood. Hello. How arrogant is that? So where do we get off on saying, I'm sorry, God, if I don't understand why you would have me do this or that or forgive that person or provide for this situation, if I, I'm not gonna do it till I understand it. And yet James 1.25 says, be not forgetful hearers, but effectual doers. For this man, this woman, shall be blessed in whatever they do. You see, obedience, according to Hebrew thinking, obedience is the means to understanding. You will never understand the wisdom. You'll never understand the, the, the mind of God, an infinite mind, until you first obey what he says, take the next step in obedience, and then that's when God reveals the wisdom. That's when you go, oh, I now understand. But if you wait to try to figure it out before you obey, it's not gonna happen. The Lord is my shepherd, and even though I walk through the valley of the shallow death, I'll, I'll fear no evil. It's interesting, if you're coming up from Egypt, you're gonna go to Jericho, down south. And then from Jericho, the trade route, up to Jerusalem is very, very interesting because back in the days of Jesus, thieves and robbers who wanted to escape the strong arm of Rome, they would hide out there. And then they would attack people coming up from Jericho to Jerusalem. This is the backdrop of the story of the Good Samaritan. And by the way, in the days of Jesus, all the way back to the days of David, this trade route was called the Valley of the Shadow of Death. In other words, we live in a dangerous world. There are people who want to hurt you. You do know you live in a broken world with broken people who some want to break you. So you don't just smile, you know, and lala your life, you know, through, but you realize it is a dangerous world we live in. And yet, this world's gonna throw evil at us, but he says, because my shepherd's with me always, I don't have to fear the evil. But I gotta get out of the shadow of it. See, if all you do is just say, well, I'm just frightened of everything, then, 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 then and you're in trouble. You got to take it and whatever you think you fear, take it out of the shadow of death and take a look at it. I am fearful I'm going to lose my job. I'm fearful my wife's going to leave me. I'm fearful my children are going to go on drugs. I'm fearful that I got cancer. You articulate what it is that you fear. Like dropping the water. Then you're going to find the shepherd will help you set that fear aside. And why? Because in God's sovereign wisdom, in the shepherd's sovereign wisdom, he promises to pull good out of any mess you create for yourself. He promises to pull out good out of any mess someone else produces for you. And because I have a sovereign presence of my shepherd who will take anything you throw at me. You say, but why does there even have to be pain and suffering. I'm the biggest baby in the room. 
I, I don't like pain, but I do know this. When one goes through pain and suffering, it stretches your capacity to feel. You feel beyond you've ever felt before when you're in great suffering and pain. But when that pain and suffering is dissolved, you are now left with an increased capacity to feel. And thus an increased depth to feel compassion, wisdom, understanding. It's only the, by the vice of pain that our capacity is ever stretched. You look at people who are shallow, who have no compassion, totally intolerant. Tell you the one thing about them, they haven't suffered very much because there is no compassion. So it makes sense even to my finite little puny little brain why God would permit this world to beat on me from time to time and cause some pain, but he will take that and he will pull good out of it, and I'll become more like Christ. Well, now we come to the peak of the mountain. Here's the key. Why do I not fear the evil, even though it hits me in the valley of the shadow of death? The Lord is my shepherd, because thou art with me. In the original, simply three words. You with me. But I think there's a better translation. Do you know the story of Desmond Doss? Holly and I some time ago saw that film, Hacksaw Ridge, painful film to see. It's about this Desmond Doss. He was the first winner of the Medal of Honor as a conscientious objector. You see, in World War II, he wanted to serve, even in boot camp, he was accused of being a, a, a coward because his Christian faith, he would not bear arms, he would not carry a gun, he would not kill. And yet so they permitted him to enter the fray as a medic. Well, there was one more island apparently we needed to take in World War II if we were going to uh, attack Japan, and that was the island of Okinawa. And, and, and the Japanese understood how serious this island was for their protection of their country, so they had trenched in, built caves, and they had a full, multiple battalions there to protect that island. And the only way that our men could go was a 350-foot cliff up the side. And they would scale this thing, battalion after battalion, and battalion after battalion would be slaughtered, pushed back over the cliff. Well, one of these attacks, Doss, Doss, Doss was part of, and, and when they had to retreat, Doss would not abandon the wounded. So under fire... For a 12-hour period of time, he went back into the fray and he rescued 75 men, dropping them down the 350-foot cliff with a rope with his own bleeding hands. That's about one man every 10 minutes for 12 hours. And when he would rescue a man and he would be safe, his prayer would be, Lord... Please give me one more. Please give me one more. Because any wounded who are still alive that morning would be executed by bayonets. And they all knew that. Dosman, what he would do is he would find a wounded man breathing. He'd grab him, shake him. Excuse me a second. <laughs> he would grab him, shake him, and he would say, I've got you. I've got you. 
Now think for a moment. You're one of those men. You're in mud. You're bleeding. You're dying. And all of a sudden you feel someone jerk you from the collar and say, I've got you. And drags you to the edge of the cliff and lifts you down to your salvation. That's a better translation of these three Hebrew words. Why do I not fear the evil when I live in this dangerous world? It's because I will hear the words from my shepherd. I've got you. I've got you. There's no needless tears. There's no wasted pain. Not, not in my life. That's why I'm not afraid. He'll pull good out of any evil that comes after me. Now I'm ready to go down the backside the backside of the mountain. And so the Lord's my shepherd, thy rod and thy staff comfort me. Now the rod in a sapling, little tree, the part of the very bottom that connected with the roots, this would form the head of the new weapon of the young shepherd. This would be the hardest part of the wood for the club. And then the rest of the trunk would be carved according to the hand of the young shepherd. And these young men would spend hours upon hours with such speed and accuracy. This would become their weapon to protect their sheep. And then the staff. Staff, that long, slender piece of wood with most time with a little hook in it. It was never identified with anything but sheep. It was never identified with somebody who overlooked hogs or cows or, or horses. Sheep. Because it really had the function of two things. It was the way the shepherd would guide the sheep when they would start getting off the pathway and would roll down the hill. But also was a way to remind the sheep of the shepherd's presence. Of the shepherd's presence. Presence and guidance. The Lord is my shepherd. He prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The shepherd would provide such an environment of fearlessness that the sheep could eat. And they could have like a table before them, even though it would be surrounded with wild animals who would love to make a meal out of them. People watch my life. They watch your life. And you know what really ticks them off? When they see you're not driven by the same fear they're driven by. And therefore, they see that you are enjoying the abundant life your shepherd provides for you every day. You're embracing all of it. And you're not distracted by fear. For some of them, they just watch. They just watch. Now there's times because they do get frustrated. They want to test you. So you're going to get roughed up. But my shepherd, he anoints my head with oil. There'll be scratches and deep cuts from certain days of being bumped around. But the, the point is resilience. I always come back. I always come back from letting my heart get hardened. From letting my heart get hardened. Because he's my shepherd, my cup overflows. What does he mean my cup overflows? What's in my cup is more than I need. It's overflowing. This is what Paul said in Philippians chapter four when Paul said, you know, I've learned many things, but one thing I've learned is I've learned how to be content. Remember the word content means you could extract such enjoyment from what you have, you don't need anything more to enjoy the life that you've got. And yet contentment is something you are not born with. It is something you learn. Paul says he learned it. 
How did he learn it? I think he learned it from Solomon when Solomon wrote in his Ecclesiastes, that is his personal journal, when he said basically at the end of chapter five, every time we acknowledge that what we have has been given to us by the hand of God, remember the word shalat? Remember God's shalat? I have these visions that you remember things I've talked about. It's just a dream that I have. Just bear with me. Here, let me kick this one away too. Yeah. That's my disappointment, but I'll come back. I'll be fine. The point is this, is that every time we acknowledge whatever we have from the hand of God, it says that he shalots us. The Hebrew word means he empowers us to extract such enjoyment from it as a gift from him. that We need no more. Holly and I have been married 48 years. I still adore the woman because I realize God has given her to me by his hand. I, 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 I love my sons, my daughters, my grandchildren, because I acknowledge they've been given to me by the hand of God. I love my lime green Jeep, because it's been given to me by the hand of God, because no one else would have given it to me. And so the fact is to learn that when I acknowledge that everything I have, whatever it might be, health to breathe, healing, Recovery. It has been given to me by the hand of God. God promises, I'll shalot. I'll empower you to extract such enjoyment from what you do have. You don't have to be grabbing for other stuff to try to be happier. That's contentment. That's my cup overflowing. The Lord's my shepherd, so surely goodness, mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. The word goodness is that same word you find in Genesis 1. When God created heavens and the earth, and he says, it is good. God created this. Good, good, good. The word is tov. Tov in the Hebrew. And it means good in the sense of given for the purpose of being a gift. This is good because God said it was good because he gave it to us to enjoy. Surely, goodness. God's going to bring things into my life for me to enjoy. And not just to enjoy, but mercy. This word mercy is the Hebrew word hesed. It's translated in the New Testament, agape, love. Sometimes translated loving kindness, goodness. Hesus basically means well-being. Surely, gifts from my heavenly shepherd and, 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 and concern and interest in my well-being will follow me all the days of my life. I have people in my life that are not that much thinking. I'm not on their radar about my well-being. But like I said, remember the pity parties? One always shows up. I only need the one. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. His presence with me, my shepherd. Literally till my last breath. In Ecclesiastes, the, again, the Journal of Solomon, the last chapter is a horrible chapter. He's describing aging. He's really honest. It's horrible. But the very, very end, he talks about at the end of aging, you die. Now, it's interesting what he describes dying. He, 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 he speaks there that at the very end, he speaks of the fact of the golden cord. And, and I'm sorry, the silver cord and he talks about the golden bowl. And he talks about the pitcher being shattered. And you go, what, what, what is that all about? This is in the desert. 
In the village, they all lived and had life from a well in the center of the village. And you'd go to the well with your pitcher, and what you would do is set your pitcher down, and then with a rope over the, the cistern wheel, you would lit down basically the, the bowl. The bowl would go down into the water, you would pull it back up, then you would pull it, then you would go ahead and pour it into your pitcher and take the life-giving water home. He says, when the silver cord is broken, there is no rope anymore. When the golden bowl to pour the life-giving water is crushed, there's nothing to put it in. And when the pitcher is shattered, there's nothing to take it home. And in that context, he's talking about breath. Drawing your last breath. Have you ever been with somebody and watched them hear them breathe their last. But one of the most sacred things of being a pastor of I've been there more than a few times to hear. At that moment, I hear the words of Jesus the night before he's crucified in John 14. The eyewitness of John himself who recorded the first three verses who said, Jesus said, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God? Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place, a place, a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will receive you to myself. And you know what Solomon says? Then the dust returns to the earth from which it came and the spirit returns to the Father. And Jesus said, I will come and receive you to myself so that where I am, you will be also. What did that thief say when he's there in Luke 23? And he says, Jesus, will you remember me when you come into your kingdom someday? When you're hanging on a cross, you don't blow smoke. And what were the first words out of the mouth of Jesus from that cross? Today, today you will be with me in paradise. How many rooms have I been in at that moment of the last breath and the presence of the shepherd never left him? and received them, and came into that room and received them and introduced them to eternal life in the presence of their Father. The Lord's my shepherd, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The new atheists like Richard Dawkins and the late Stephen Hawking's and the late Carl Sagan, those who are late know the truth now, they tell us that we're all alone in the universe that it does not have any of us in mind. This universe is cold, impersonal. We exist as an accident on a speck of a planet without any purpose, any destiny, any hope. And maybe they're right. Maybe this universe is cold, impersonal. And maybe this universe doesn't have me in mind. But I know the creator of it does. And this is what I've learned from David in the 23rd Psalm. 
His presence is always with me. That's what the shepherd wanted you to know. You're never alone. Holly and I were having lunch at Randy's, wonderful little restaurant, owned by Christians, by the way. And uh, we were sitting there as we were eating, and I looked over, and there was this gentleman with his wife, older gentleman, well, older, maybe in his early 50s, and he had a T-shirt cut off, and he had this big tattoo here, big heart tattoo. I, I looked over at it, and it had said 23rd Psalm. And Holland and I have made a habit of asking people about their tattoos. I find it's a lot more fun than judging them, you know? Just, just I say, tell me about your tattoo. He uh, was one of four brothers. And the eldest of the four passed away just six months before. And the eldest brother loved the 23rd Psalm. So the other three brothers all had the tattoo to remind them of their brother. I said, do you know it? And they kind of looked at each other. I said, let me recite it to you. And it was fun to recite it to them out loud and watch them try to mouth some of the words. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me to the quiet waters. He guides me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. And though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I'll fear no evil, for thou art with me. A rod, staff, oh, they comfort me. You prepare before me a table in the presence of my enemies. Hey, I get roughed up, and so you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness, mercy, going to follow me every day of my life. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Why would you ever fear with the presence of your shepherd always so near? Father, I pray that we would never forget this truth. Lord, I would pray we would all memorize this wonderful psalm as a daily reminder, as it did with Dallas Willard, as it does with me for years now. It just is being comforted by the scriptures themselves. For your spirit speaks to our spirit and reminds us of the nearness of the shepherd. And so we're ready for every day. And this abundant life, Jesus, you talked about, well, it's just a bad case of the normals for us because we are embracing all of it and we thank you for it. This I ask in the name of Jesus Christ. And God's people said, Amen.